Welcome to Pardon the Apocalypse. Let's be real. If you're American, you've already decided on what you think the origin of the coronavirus is, and there's nothing I can say or anything anyone else can say to change your mind at this point. And therein lies the problem. How did a select few in power manage to get us to stop scrutinizing them and to focus all of our energy on hating our neighbor, just another, just average Joe like you and me? So the question is, how did we get to this point and how do we fix it? The first thing that we need to do is we need to stop allowing the politicians and the media pitting us against one another. We can't buy into this false narrative that there's two groups and that group is pure evil incarnate and we are perfect and infallible in any way. And Americans fall for this trap all the time, as opposed to keeping these politicians in line. We simply just fight with our neighbor and we're losing grasp of the big picture. We can't see the net outcome. And we see this in our arguments as well. We have, we're so full of these little gotcha moments that if there's one little thing that doesn't support someone else's argument, we try and act like, hey, that completely invalidates it, even if it's a tiny thing. It's much like a company. It has a net of the profits and the costs. And let's say, for instance, a janitor gets paid an extra 50 bucks while he retires and the company never gets that back. Though true, that was a silly mistake by the company. It doesn't invalidate it being a good company. Someone can't just say, oh, they're a terrible company because they made that one mistake. If they're making money hand over fist and the profits grossly outweigh the cost. And that's the silly kind of waiting we see in our problem solving process. We don't look at the net of everything. We either assume, A, if something comes from some other group, it's evil. Or if there's some tiny little fact, we'll use that as our straw man argument and say, oh, this is not a good argument and I can't believe anything there. We don't weigh things out appropriately anymore. We need to say no to the politicians and the media when they try and trick us into this silly kind of stuff. We need to shift our focus to more independent news outlets. Does anyone really think that we're getting fair and unbiased news when almost all the news outlets are owned by five or six companies? Throughout the pandemic, we obviously saw framing and propaganda, but it didn't stop there. We had platforms that were literally controlling the message, calling people crazy conspiracy theorists if they said something like, maybe it did escape from a lab. And we saw people on YouTube get demonetized. All of a sudden, they're Subscribers would drop for no apparent reason. So media creators were literally scared of getting deplatformed for just having a different opinion. Now, obviously, there was a lot of talk that we need to listen to the experts in a situation like this. Even while listening to the experts, we have to admit the conflict of interest here. The researchers, well, obviously they want funding and they don't want to lose funding. So in a situation where if it was deemed that it was probable that it came from a lab, well, that's not going to help them get more money. And I think it just becomes real obvious that we've seen before that internal audits never work. They don't work for local police stations. They don't work for inside the NSA. Obviously, if you're investigating yourself, you come back with a high degree of confidence that no mistakes were made. And we have to acknowledge, too, the phrase, trust the science 
is probably the furthest thing from science. And science, you don't trust, you verify. That's the whole point of the scientific method is retesting and verifying. We don't have some religious figure that's infallible and it came down from, from the clouds. That's not how this works. Don't trust, verify. And anyone who's really to the science will agree with that. Inside the medical community, there is a tendency to reject new information. And this is so prolific that there's a name for it, the Semmelweis reflex. And the most common of these would be when they ask doctors to wash their hands. So instead of giving several births or doing several surgeries, you would have to wash your hands in between. A physician had noticed that, hey, these midwives who aren't giving several births a day, well, we're getting less infections and less deaths of the women giving birth in these situations. Now, obviously, the medical community had a huge kickback, a lot of egos, a lot of people were offended. Obviously, the doctors felt that, well, that's outrageous. We're doctors. We don't hurt people. We help people. How dare you? The doctor who proposed this, well, I mean, at first he was ridiculed. He had colleagues who would distance themselves from him. And eventually his contract with this hospital he's working at never got renewed. The guy really struggled to get funding for this research. So being right isn't always enough if everybody else is too afraid of their ego getting hurt and realizing maybe they did hurt somebody. We see this all the time, and this isn't actually science. This is egos of people getting in the way of science. Go ahead and look through history, whether you're reading about Galileo or whoever, and you'll find all types of examples of quote-unquote experts protecting their egos and raging like toddlers, regardless of what the actual science says. And speaking on the media, you know, obviously there was framing that was going on in propaganda, but it didn't stop there. Many platforms sought to completely control the messaging. So if you had proposed something like a lab leak theory, you literally could be demonetized. And I remember many YouTubers talking about, hey, I don't know where my subscribers went. And the Democrats would flat out call you a racist towards Asian people should you mention a theory as maybe it did escape from a lab that just happened to be right there researching the very same thing, the very thing that we're having an outbreak of, which is just a very preposterous statement to begin with. It was the Republicans that said, yeah, when it comes to getting into college, we shouldn't penalize you. We shouldn't keep you out just because your ancestry is from Asia. You know, what does that have to do with anything? It was the Democrats that threw a fit. So if anything, the Democrats are the racist in this situation, and they should really check themselves. Early on in the pandemic, if you said, hey, maybe this was a lab leak, you were instantly labeled a crazy conspiracist. Well, if we fast forward today, according to the U.S. Department of Energy, a laboratory leak was the most likely origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. We went from conspiracy theorists to most likely. Even the FBI chief, Christopher Wray, said China lab leak. Most likely, the former CDC chief, Dr. Robert Redfield, said most likely cause of coronavirus is that it escaped from a lab. Even from the very beginning, we had an outbreak of this mysterious virus. We need to know more about it. And it was absolutely crucial to learn as much as we could about this virus as soon as possible. 
And what do we have? We just so happen to have a virology lab right there. And it also, believe it or not, specializes in the exact same virus that the outbreak is. So what would you expect? Well, you would expect them to be doubling down, researching day and night to try and save as many lives as possible. But what did we get? Well, we got a lab that shut itself down, didn't share any of its information from its databases with the World Health Institute or the U.S., which gave it some funding. No, it deleted all the information. This is so absurd. Can you imagine if you had a fire station in your neighborhood and they're practicing putting out fires and then an actual house with people in it is on fire and people are in danger? And then the fire station just says, you know what? Uh, we're shutting down. Good luck with that. Could you imagine the outrage with people? It's just, it's so absurd that this lab would shut down when we need them the most and then delete all the information, which is just all sorts of fishy. From the U.S.'s standpoint, if we're going to fund research like this, we shouldn't be giving money to countries that aren't going to cooperate with us. For instance, the World Health Institute is trying to do the second half of the origin of the coronavirus investigation. But China's not cooperating, so they just had to give up on it, which makes no sense. The U.S. helped fund some of the research at Wuhan, and then it deletes everything on the databases. So we shouldn't be giving funding to countries that aren't cooperating with you know, finding the origin of these things. We shouldn't be giving money to people who are going to delete all the data anyway. And if we do, all that data should be backed up in real time on a database in the U.S., preferably something uh, that you can't change, like an immutable ledger or some kind of blockchain. So that way, you know, if there is a pandemic, there's no sweeping it under the rug if mistakes were made. But a lot of questions, obviously, we shouldn't have funded them. But now, the New York Post has reported that sources within the U.S. government say that three of the earliest people to become infected were from the Wuhan lab, which is very incriminating, which makes this look like just from the very beginning, one big fiasco of every single person in power trying to avoid any sort of blame possible. It doesn't appear like we're focused on deep diving into the information and finding solutions. It just looks like everybody's scrambling like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to avoid blame at all costs. So there's probably plenty of blame to go around. And I'll admit it as an American, yeah, we probably have a part in some of that blame. Not as much as China, but yeah, we shouldn't have, fun we shouldn't have sent dollars overseas in this situation. And to go along with the confusion, obviously our politicians do not understand the terminology good enough to question these people. When someone like Anthony Fauci says it's not plausible, well, what a worthless word is that? Are you saying that's unreasonable or are you going with the other definition saying it's not probable? I mean, because it's very easy to say, yeah, I thought there was less than a 50% chance of it coming from a lab. And that would be truthful. And, and like I said, these politicians don't understand the terminology. So when the politician is really trying to get at, or, did you make this virus more dangerous? When they ask, did you make it more transmissible? Well, if all they did at that facility was change the target host and changing that target host to humans definitely does make it more dangerous, they can still tell that politician, no, this did not increase transmissibility because all we changed was the target host, which, which is unfortunate because we can't get straight answers out of these people. And very often we see people lying to Congress 
and there's no penalty for it. During the pandemic, I worked for a company that gave us these sheets of paper that said we were essential workers. So just in case the quarantines got really tough and cops were pulling people over, we could show them a piece of paper and be like, hey, officer, I'm essential. I need to go to work. Which when my coworker saw this, he said, oh, hey, look at that. We're, we're essential. We're important. I'm like, hate to burst your bubble there. That just means the government's willing to risk your life for its benefit. We're essential, but we're more like the ants defending the colony. The colony is willing to send dozens upon dozens of ants to their slaughter just to help itself out. So regardless of what you feel the origin is, we all should come to agreement that, yes, we need to step up the safety on these things. So it really doesn't matter if you felt this came from a lab or if this jumped from an animal in nature. It's still very dangerous, and we need to step up the safety of our facilities. So, yes, it could be altered to become more dangerous, but even if you think it came from nature, well, these labs are still searching out the biggest viral threats to humanity that they can find out in nature, bringing it back to their lab, which is still a risk that, yes, that could get out. Now, technically, the coronavirus could have been taken from nature could have been researched at a lab, escaped from a lab, and it would be just as deadly. 1% of the population could just be wiped out and the world economy shut down for a certain amount of time. And in this situation, yes, it is still very dangerous because a lot of these places, we don't see humans treading as often. We don't see a lot of humans going down several hundred feet down into a bat cave usually. So we're actually increasing the risk if we're not being extremely careful here. And when it comes to quarantining, there's a lot of folks out there who say, yes, we need to quarantine people. We need to shut down the economy. But where are these people when it comes to quarantining these labs from the rest of us? Should they have a leak, it should be easy to quarantine everybody involved. It shouldn't be a situation like at Wuhan, where if a virus was to leak, we have 11 million people it could infect. I understand that, yes, it's going to cost more money if you put this in a very remote place. So if you put it on an island by itself, you put it way up north, yes, it's going to cost more, but that's just a drop in the bucket if you look at the millions of deaths that we had, you know, and, and of course, the financial costs of shutting down the world economy. And when it comes to shutting down the world economy, we may be underlooking the actual cost here. And we still really haven't heard any good numbers on how many deaths will inadvertently be caused by shutting down the world economy. Now, many of us have seen the big short from 2015, which is a, a dramatization of the events that led up to the 2008 recession. Now, the quote in that movie is, here's a number for you. For every 1% unemployment goes up, 40,000 people die. Now, obviously, that's dramatized. That's not nuanced. That doesn't give us the full picture. But every year, the leading killer is poverty. And we've had excess deaths very high for a long time now, even when COVID deaths started to drop off. So we're really not going to know the full damage of this, you know, at least for another like five or 10 years. So going back to the labs, we have to acknowledge that there are deadlier viruses out there. This one happened to be very contagious and it infected almost everybody. It only killed a little over 1% of all Americans, with it being a little bit higher in some regions. 
And at some point, we have to mention gain-of-function research. We take a virus and we change a function of that virus. We make it either more transmissible, we change the target host. There are many different things we could change on this. And some of the arguments for that is, yes, it does reduce the cost of research. If the virus that you're researching isn't infectious enough and you're testing it, say, on rats, well, if it's not infecting all the rats, well, this can make the research a lot more difficult. So they can save some money that way. But in my case, I would say it's definitely not worth the cost. I would rather pay a much higher cost in these labs than risk a highly contagious virus getting out into the populace. And in some scarier news, in Boston, they have actually combined the spiked protein from the Omicron variant and put it on the Wuhan version. This new virus went from killing zero of infected mice to 80% of infected mice. And yes, mice are not humans, but these are not just any mice. These are humanized mice. They have been given receptors similar to humans, so we could get the best data possible to see what would infect an actual human. Means that if it infects one of these mice versus a regular mouse, means there's a better chance it could infect a human. And one of the arguments for making some of these dangerous viruses is, well, in nature, some of these could be created, but there's also a lot of people in the scientific community questioning whether, like, what is the chance of this variant being created in the wild? And if that chance is very, very little, then why are we taking this risk of it accidentally escaping from us. And we really need to come together and look at it. Is it really worth the benefit? And if we're going to do it, we really need to be careful. And I think in situations like this, where is Jeff Goldblum's character from Jurassic Park when we really need him? Now, there is obviously a lot that goes into the biosafety of these labs, but ultimately we need to admit that we are human and we make mistakes. In 1977, there was an outbreak of the H1N1 between the border of China and the Soviet Union, and researchers later concluded, like, yes, this probably escaped a lab. Also in 1977, smallpox had been eradicated from the populace and was just being researched in labs. Now, unfortunately, a photographer working at one of these labs had contracted it and unfortunately died. And then again, in 2004, we had at least two researchers who contracted the SARS virus at the Chinese National Institute of Virology. One of the employees' mothers also became infected, and unfortunately, she passed away. So we are human, and we do have near misses. So again, that's why I feel we really need to have these in more remote locations. So at least with the new virology lab that's being built in Manhattan, Kansas, I'm happier that it's built in you know, the Little Apple there in Kansas rather than New York City, it'd be much easier to quarantine everybody in that area versus the whole city of New York. Can you imagine the absolute destruction if we had a virus that was just as infectious as the coronavirus, but instead of, say, more than a 1% fatality rate, had something closer to a 50% fatality rate? And that's why we need to really take these things seriously. If you imagine different man-made things that could that could just kill millions, if not billions of people. A lot of times we think about, yeah, yeah, nuclear weapons could obviously kill tons of people. Some of the things that help us with that is that, yeah, governments come together around the world to deter nuclear weapon proliferation, which helps. It's not exactly easy to get uranium, plutonium, or nuclear materials. And when it comes to the uh, centrifuges for enriching it, well, those aren't cheap either. And if you're the U.S. or Russia, you probably have a lot of sensors out there just looking for 
odd nuclear activity. Now, when it comes to these labs, this is very different. The supplies are very cheap. The international community isn't latching down on people to tell them, hey, be careful. And they're, and they're very hard to detect. For instance, in California, they found a secret lab in an abandoned warehouse where they found 20 infectious agents, including things like HIV, COVID, chlamydia, rubella, malaria. And they had no idea that was there. They even had mice that were genetically engineered to catch and carry the COVID virus. You don't just go to the pet store and say, hey, uh, which mouse do you want? I want the uh, genetically engineered one to catch and carry the COVID virus. No. So the only reason you would have this mouse is if you're going to do this type of research. And yes, there were ties to China, but not necessarily the Chinese government. So it's still a developing story. So what should we do about all this? Well, for starters, we already have some rules in place. For instance, a lot of these researchers are supposed to communicate through official channels, through an official email. Unfortunately, Fauci skirted these rules by asking people to communicate with him across his private email. And we really need to raise the penalties for these things because obviously they're still skirting the rules. And as I had mentioned previously, if we're going to be funding any type of research, we need to be able to make sure we can hold on to that data. So if we're funding research in some other country, we need to have that data in real time backed up to some kind of database in the U.S., preferably on some kind of immutable ledger where this information can't be finagled later. A lot of people don't realize, like in your medical records and different things, you have things like timestamps in there that can't be altered without knowing that secret key. And if we had something like this, well, they couldn't change it without rolling the entire thing back. And it would allow everyday citizens to look up public data and see what it was originally, knowing that it couldn't have been changed. Because really, I mean, if we pay for it with our tax dollars, well, that's our data. And we should be in control of that. And speaking of the sloppiness of Wuhan deleting all those databases and then shutting down, I really don't think this was a planned event by the Chinese or the U.S. government. I think this was more of a big oopsie than anything. If you look at it, they would have planned this beforehand. They wouldn't be shutting down the lab. All the data, you know, what they wanted to delete, it, delete would have been deleted. They wouldn't have deleted everything. And then they would have had some mock data created for us to, to look through and say, hey, look at this. Uh, they did no harm. But this one just seems too sloppy and too weird to think it was planned. I mean, obviously later everyone created a plan to escape all blame po possible, but no, I don't think this was planned from the beginning. So the question is, how do we get all the governments together to discourage dangerous research? We did it with nuclear weapons. So the big question is, how do we get the governments to get together and decide on what we should do and what we shouldn't do? We live in such a connected world that if one of these viruses gets out, well, it's going to make it to everybody. No country is going to be completely separated from it. At some point, it will get everywhere. And I think we need to acknowledge that this is a systems problem. We're simply giving up things we should be demanding for. And with how we have things set up currently, with the lack of clarity, the inability to speak or look at the information ourselves, well, this just means that, yeah, we could get out any person out of government or a position of power that you want, and this could still happen because we're allowing the system to be structured in a way that allows it to happen. 
with a government that looks so deeply into our personal lives, we should look even deeper into our government and its inner workings. That would save us from not just a lot of problems with the coronavirus, but all sorts of issues. And I think the biggest one of all is we need to get back to making weighted, logical decisions. We can't allow them to pit us against one another, using up all of our energy hating our neighbor when we should be watching them. We really just need to get back to looking at things scientifically. You know, enough of this, trust me, you know, I'm a science guy or this or that. That's not science. You know, we don't need some high priest of science. We need actual scientists who test the results over and over. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. And remember, if you want to make the world a better place, don't trust, verify. Love you and see you in the next one.